Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Conservative Woman's Guide. I'm your host, Peyton Smith, and today I'm joined by Jessica Costescu, a recent graduate of Georgetown University, who is going to share more about her story of being conservative on campus. So welcome, Jessica. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Let's just start with a little background. Um, how did you pick Georgetown? What did you get involved in? Just give us a, like, a little rundown of everything. Definitely. Um, so I went to Georgetown. I was in their school foreign service, and I actually ended up graduating a year early. So I did my bachelor's in three years, not four. I just took summer classes every single summer because I just wanted to get done as quick <laughs> as possible, I guess. And as soon as I knew that there was a way to do it, I was like, I'm doing it. Why would I be here for another year if I could just get out earlier? Um, but for me, it was either in between uh, Georgetown or Berkeley. And I'm originally from Southern California. So I think I would have gotten like better tuition if I went there. But actually, because Georgetown is a private institution, they gave me more financial aid. So it, it doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense, really. But um, Berkeley didn't have a they, they have a really good political science program. But that's not exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, it, it is. But I I didn't like just the basic poli side that you can find at pretty much every major institution in the U.S. Georgetown, besides the fact that it was in Washington, D.C., which was crazy to, to be able to come here, they have a school foreign service. So I actually ended up majoring in international politics, and I have a concentration in foreign policy. And I think that's, at least it was more interesting for me rather than if I would have studied just typical political science. Um, and you kind of just go by the book for that. So that's why I chose Georgetown. And then also like the other huge factor was knowing that I'd be able to come here to DC. And I mean, for someone that's interested in politics, just policies in general, I mean, there's no other better place to come than DC. Yeah. So you're in the it, hub it was, of it all. It was kind of, yeah, I mean, it was either that one because, oh, wow, I actually got into that school or this one. It's like, oh, I actually got into this one and it's in D.C. So that that's kind of how I chose it. Yeah. What did you get involved in? For groups on campus, I, um, well, see, that's the thing because I graduated high school in 2020. So I started college at the height of COVID. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it's not the typical experience for people and I hope it's not going to happen to anyone else, but you never know. Um, I my, my first semester, my first fall of 2020, I was at home um, because the campus was closed down and no one would come on campus. But in the spring, I actually, they, they allowed me to come on campus because they had a few spaces for people to come and live here. Um, and so I did that. But really, my, I guess, becoming involved in clubs didn't really start until that next fall. So technically, my second year at Georgetown, because that's when everyone came back to campus um, and it started and it the first thing I joined I think was the college Republicans at Georgetown because there was no other there was no other conservative organization for students um, mm-hmm. and on a campus for Georgetown where it's like frowned upon I guess to be conservative in public wherever you know I, I have so many friends that you never even know that they're conservative because they'll never speak about it publicly. Um, And that kind of bothered me, but I'll probably get into that later because, you know, it's like, well, I felt alone for like my first year here. And if I knew you were conservative, like we could have, we could have gotten along and it would have made this whole transition so much less difficult. 
Yeah. Um, but I joined College Republicans first, and then obviously the opportunity came about to start the new chapter on Georgetown's campus. So I was the co-founder and the president for about two years, um, and it's definitely been like the best decision I've made as a student, um, trying to bring together other conservative students at Georgetown. I mean, it, it was such a great decision besides just the college Republicans. It, I mean, you, obviously you have the Republican denomination, so it's more of like, this is the political party you're choosing. And then, yeah, cool. We have nice events and everything. We have guest speakers, but there wasn't an option for just conservative people that didn't want to necessarily go that far. And then also just for women in general. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if I'll go as far as to say that conservative women on campus are less outspoken than the men are. I don't think so. But I just, I, I felt like there was a need for a group like that. And I mean, new already was out there. And so I'm like, yeah, like we can do that over here too. Definitely. Why not? So we kind of get started and we get rolling too. And the great thing about going to school in DC is that you have so many think tanks around you. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like you, you have conservative think tanks like heritage and we had speakers we had even like libertarian speakers from the Cato Institute. So it didn't really matter. We had, we brought in a ton of speakers on campus um, and, it, you know, social events because you kind of need that here, especially when it feels like it's you versus everyone else on campus. So that's kind of how we got started. And, yeah, it, 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 was, it was a great decision. Yeah, I know I started my freshman year was when COVID hit. So I brought new on campus right in kind of the height of COVID as well. And it is more difficult than you would think. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in the book, you share some stories about struggles you face hosting conservative events on campus. I know you specifically touched on the Victims of Communism National Memorial Day event that you guys were trying to put up. Like, Can you share some more about that experience with us? Yeah, definitely. So if my memory serves me right, I think November 8th is the national day uh, for the Memorial of Victims of Communism. And um, I, I had become aware of this. I think through the Leadership Institute, because I was a campus ambassador for Georgetown University through the Leadership Institute. They're another conservative nonprofit and they're great. Um, but they had all of these free resources for club organizers to put up these events. Um, and I, I'll get into this probably later, but I was very passionate about this because my family actually lived under communism in Eastern Europe, in Romania, and my dad actually fled communism there for the U.S. in the late 1970s. So this was something that I, I felt a need to do because, I mean, after all the sacrifices my parents made and getting to this country and giving me all the opportunities that I ended up getting here, that's the least I could do, a memorial for the victims that suffered and continue to suffer under communism. Um, so... The, the premise of the whole event was just that we got um, a ton of uh, red flags and each flag was supposed to represent an X number of people that died under communism. And I think maybe we had like somewhere around a thousand flags. But anyway, so it was supposed to be a flag planning event that, mm -hmm. you know, but our school also did for like 9-11. But they also had some um, LI had some that you can do for... Um, unborn babies with like pink flags. So we wanted to do that. 
Um, and you know, the event comes around, we put all the flags down and then we also have like five poster boards kind of spread throughout because we put them at the front of the school in the grass and we had some posters to explain what this is. Cause I mean, there's just a bunch of red flags everywhere. I mean, what is this? You know, people yeah. wanted to know. Um, and so we had just a few, uh, poster boards. It, it said what I just told you, like each flag equals this m- number of people that died under communism. And then we had one that said, you know, this is how many million of people have died from communism in China. And then we had, you know, other communist regimes. So it wasn't anything political. Like we wanted to make sure like this was something that is just facts like this is real people are suffering under this people have suffered and this is just a memorial um and the reception was great like we even had professors come out of their classrooms when they're you know when they were got done with their classes and they came and talked to us and they're like this is amazing like there's no way not everyone can get in behind this Mm -hmm. um so it goes great um we set them up maybe at like 8 a.m. not maybe two hours past and I I had to go to class so I couldn't just sit out there and it didn't seem like anything was going to happen everything was going great I had to go to class so obviously I had to leave Mm -hmm. um and one of my friends texts me about two hours later not even it's it's like 10 a.m. right so like nothing could have happened she texts me and tells me that every single one of the poster boards was defaced with red spray paint and a sickle and hammer was drawn on every single poster board. So I'm like, no way. So I rush over there and I see it all. And it looks like it's a pro communism memorial, right? Cause there's just a sickle and hammer hammer painted on every single one of these. And like, first of all, who just, what college student just has a can of red spray paint? Well, I mean, apparently someone does nowadays, <laughs> even on my campus, especially on my campus. And then second of all, who knows how to draw the sickle and hammer symbol? Cause I don't, I mean, I know what it looks like, but to draw it five times and the posters weren't like right next to each other. There's like one here, one over there, one over there. So someone deliberately went from poster to poster board to draw this on there. Um, so I have no choice but to take these posters out, um, cause we kind of put them in the ground. I have to take them out. Now it doesn't make any sense, but thankfully the flags were, were fine. They weren't defaced at all. So I take the posters away. The flags stay for the rest of the day. No other crazy thing happens, but I, I, I'm like, they just defaced my personal property and the property of the leadership Institute. So of course I'm going to go to the campus police department and report this. Um, so nothing happened in the very beginning because they had no idea who did this, but I'm like, it happened at 10 AM. It's not like this was someone in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. with a mask on their face that just went around and did this. Um, fast forward maybe one or two weeks and a detective from the campus police department calls me and they did find out who it was. It was a student, uh, a male, a student. Um, they tracked him down because I guess he went back to his dorm. And when you have to scan in, it takes down your information. So it logs that. And so they put two and two together and they figured out who it was. I never get to know the name of the individual or who it was. Cause they were asking me like, Oh, do you know who would do this? I'm like, I have no idea. I mean, I'm like, why did people even do this? It's a memorial. Like mm-hmm. it's not a political statement. It's just a memorial. 
Um, so they find out who did it. Um, I press for months and months to find out if there was any sort of disciplinary action taken. They said that there was, again, I have no idea what the extent of that was. And because of some sort of confidentiality thing, they couldn't tell me. So I don't know what happened, but at least I know that that's on that guy's record that, that he did this. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, just one of multiple instances on campus where, you know, either the events that we put up tried to, you know, people tried getting them shut down or just, I mean, just, it, it didn't make any sense to me because it was just a memorial. So it was never supposed to happen in the first place. Yeah. And it's a shame that you aren't the only conservative woman on campus who has had to face right. like their property being defaced. We've had multiple right. instances where other chapter leaders have come to us and yeah. told us about similar instances, which is, right. it's a shame. Yeah. You kind of touched on it a little bit, but how has your family history shaped your outlook on current events? I know especially now China is a big topic in the news right. and just other political movements that are going on. Yeah. I mean, anyone that says that, you know, they're oppressed in America is just the most self-centered lie I, I, I've ever heard in my life. I mean, just the fact that you're born in this country already automatically means that you're the most, one of the most privileged people to live on this earth today and in, in all of history, probably. Um, I mean, I was born here in this country and I did, so I was born in California. I did kindergarten there and then I moved to Romania and I did first or eighth grade there. So I speak Romanian fluently. And then I came back to California as a freshman in high school and I've been here since. So even though I didn't necessarily live under communism, that was my parents and that was my dad fleeing in the late 1970s um, and getting here. I did see what it's like to live in a former communist country. And I can tell you for a fact that if I would have stayed there because my family isn't rich, there's, there's no ties to my name, I probably wouldn't have done anything exceptional if I would have stayed in Romania. It's still a second world country. I don't know if it'll ever get better to the extent where you can compare it to other Western countries in terms of prosperity because they're still a lot of corruption, like even in the educational system, it's, it just makes you feel like there's really nowhere else for you to go. It, you're just permanently stuck at the level you're born in. And that's, that's, that's just it, unfortunately. So I lived over there and obviously I was born here in the U S. So I always kind of wanted to come back. Cause I, even though my heritage, both of my parents are Romanian, I was like, no, I'm American through and mm -hmm. through. So I really wanted to come back. Um, and when I did come back, it, you can just put it all into perspective and you see the difference. And it's like, yeah, it's really bad over there. I mean, it's not terrible because it's not a third world country, but I mean, you can't even compare it to what it's like over here. In the U.S., you have so much opportunity left, right, and center. So that's why when I came back in high school, I was like, wow, there's like all of these things that can help you achieve and help you get ahead. Like I finished my associate's degree concurrent with my high school diploma because I took free college classes through dual enrollment in California. I have an associate's degree in administration of justice that I got completely for free. Like that is not a thing you can do over there in Eastern Europe. Um, 
just all of these other opportunities for young people. And then just in general to even when you're older there, you're just, you're stuck. There's nothing to do here in the U S the sky is really the limit. It doesn't matter where your family comes. I mean, sure. If you, if you have, you know, rich parents, I'm sure that'll, that'll make it easier for you, but that doesn't automatically mean that you're going to accomplish something that's worthy of respect. But it does also mean at the same time that if you are no one and you have nothing, you can you you can do it all. I mean, I I think I'm a perfect example for that personally in my life where it's like there's no reason for you not to do it. Yeah, I'm sure it has to be infuriating hearing yeah. your peers talk about bringing communism back and how great it is. It's oh, infuriating yeah. for I me. Mean, it was it was infuriating yeah. when I was on my college campus and I don't even have the background or the history and like the extent of your knowledge so i can only imagine no and i mean even with china and then all of these other countries and then just it's like they're they're definitely not our friend Mm -hmm. they definitely commit uh you know atrocities against their own people like the uyghurs in china You, you you don't want to look up to them i mean there's one thing about diplomacy but then looking up to them and like obviously us divesting from their economy is one of the best things we've done recently. And I mean, if we just keep doing that, that'll be very good for us yeah. and in the long term and the short term. Cause I mean, it's, it's an ideological world at the uh, war at the end of the day. And I mean, if you ask my dad, um, so my dad fled communism in the late 1970s, but he was actually caught and put in a labor camp in Yugoslavia, I think. And he was there for like two years, but long story short, he obviously eventually made it to the U.S. And he made it, I think, to New York. And he was like, what's the farthest away I can get from communism? That was as west as you could go. And so that's (laughs) why I'm from California. And that's when Reagan was president, too. So obviously, like, everyone wanted to to be there in California. Um, So that's that's how, you know, I ended up in California. But... um, it, it, it doesn't even compare um, yeah. the the ideologies. And if you ask my dad, he'll say, like, what are you? And, like, typically, like, you, someone's probably thinking, like, oh, are, what's your political party? Are you a Democrat or Republican? Mm-hmm. My dad will say I'm a capitalist. Um, and, and that's exactly what he means. And that's exactly the truth. Because through capitalism, through the fact that he was able to put me through high school, that mm-hmm. I eventually made it here. Yeah. It's funny hearing you say that what's the farthest you can get away from communism? And you said California at the time and now. I know. It's, it's insane. <laughs> it's, it's completely switched, but yeah. it's still a beautiful state. Great to visit. Not as much to live in. I'm a <laughs> proud Virginia resident now. So. Um, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier in the episode, but why is finding a conservative community on campus so important, especially I feel like now with the culture war that's going on and Gen Z on campus being such a pronounced part of that culture war? Right. Well, um, whoever's the loudest gets the most, you know, screen time. And so usually on college campuses that it's always, always uh, liberal, you know, just making their points known and it's not even their points because they usually don't really use facts they usually you know use emotion to make their points but it it makes you feel like you have to stay silent because otherwise you're 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 a bigot you're whatever use the 10 different words to describe a terrible human being 
Um, when in reality, it's definitely not that. It's just that you disagree with a point. Um, so I, I found it necessary to speak out as much as I could, but it was never going to be like, oh, let me just be obnoxious in class and then have everyone know my political leanings. So that doesn't really do much. It's, it's when you need it, you should probably speak up. Mm -hmm. Um, so if there was ever, you know, a discussion in class or just whatever it was in general or through being, you know, part of new and being the president of it. So you're, you're at the forefront of this. I, it was very important that I at least speak up because then someone else might also someone else that's conservative and especially woman, like mm-hmm. you're not going to want to speak up because if you're the only one that speaks up in a crowd, that's going to be very difficult for you to reconcile. And then the other thing too, is if you don't have a strong friend group or a strong base, which I thought new could be for women, mm-hmm. you, you know, if you feel like you don't have a safety net to catch you, if you are going to go out there and speak your mind, that's it's going to be more personally damaging for you because you're like it really sucks but you have a few more years to go until you graduate so what are you going to do now Mm -hmm. but through new um i think it's giving women the opportunity to speak up because you have us we know your true value and we know that your ideas aren't uncommon and they're they're based and they're backed by facts Mm -hmm. so Yeah, I know on my personal story is I brought new to campus and once I spoke up and started speaking out about my conservative values, a lot of my friends came forth and they're like, oh my goodness, like I didn't know you felt the same way. And then once someone speaks up, everyone else gains the confidence to speak up as well because they know they aren't alone. Let's end the episode with what is your biggest piece of advice for other conservative women on college campuses? Let's see. Um probably still something that has to do with just speaking up, but also not being afraid to just stand up. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, you don't have to be that obnoxious student because there's always some liberal in in the classrooms that, you know, just wears the Bernie hat, which is fine. So I'm not saying you have to be like that, but just stand your ground and, and research your positions. Like if you know what you're talking about, and if you have facts to back up your statements, you really don't feel pressured into falling for what someone else thinks you should think. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have my experiences. I, I have all of these facts to tell you that, no, like, communism is bad. Like, no, this policy is bad. This policy is good. It has nothing to do with any personal attacks. If you... If you go down to personal attacks, then it's like, okay, so you really have nothing to say about my argument itself. Mm -hmm. Um, So stand your ground and research your political stands, um, and then I think you'll be fine. And still definitely speak up, because I think it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. I mean, it's because, I mean, liberals on campus are just getting... I mean, you're seeing that today, too, with everything going around with Israel and Palestine, like... People aren't really afraid to to say very, very crazy things anymore. And it's like they try to paint us as saying crazy things. And I don't think we've ever said anything that crazy. Um, But they're, you know, I've seen some students supporting just Hamas outright. And they're a terrorist organization. And they have been recognized as a PLO for years. So, I mean, stand your ground and research your beliefs. 
I love that advice. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to share your story along with the other stories of young conservative women by getting our new book, You're Not Alone, The Conservative Woman's Guide to College, into the hands of people across the country. Make sure to join us next week as we are going to be talking with Tadie Self, who is also featured in the book. You'll get to hear her personal story that is shared in the book and great advice that she gives regarding transitioning from campus to the Capitol. Make sure you subscribe to the Conservative Woman's Guide wherever you get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a five-star review and let us know how we're doing. Or if you have any ideas for show topics, you can email us at media at enlightenedwomen.org. We'll see you next time.